When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. What makes for a great vacation? Depends on who you ask. Are you looking to get away or bring everyone together? Do you want to get outside and play or see a play at the plate? Fortunately, however you operate, I'm the destination you've been looking for. The name's Missouri, but you can call me Mo. And I have just one question. What's your MO? To find your MO, tap now. Or for information on safe travel, come see me at visitmo.com. Your free Blue Room podcast is on the way shortly. But before we do get started, we'd just like to give you a little reminder that for those of you who want a little bit more from us, there is a lot more on offer. In 2019, there will be tons to come from our subscription service over on the Blue Room Extra. That's www.patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra. Every week, that service is bursting with content. It includes exclusive shows for subscribers, including our preview, upcoming matches with supporters and journalists, you know, Everton's opponents inside out. We also offer a European football show, an academy watch focusing on the toffees you've set up and the lads out on loan, as well as a weekly mailbag where we take your questions it's three ninety nine a month to become part of our Patreon community. And it's a subscription you can stop whenever you'd like. Last year, in 2018, it worked out at around 13p a show. We do appreciate the constant support we receive from those of you who listen to our free audio. And there will be much more available than ever for free in the coming months here at the Blue Room. But for those of you who would like to hear from us a little bit more, it's patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra. Thanks for your patience with this message. Now here's your podcast. There's the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. It's your weekly show. That's myself and Dave Downey. We are not in the studio today because we've been so busy. We haven't had time to make it into town to actually get this podcast sorted out. So we are recording from Dave Downey's car um, in the plush surroundings of Sefton Park. Um, might look a little bit dodgy, to be honest, Dave, if anyone comes past this. It's like the old days, this, isn't it? Well, hang on, you've made it sound like we've chosen to be near Sefton Park. You might actually outside your home. Yeah. And we're not recording inside mine because it's too echoey. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we're being, we're being the ultimate professionals here, aren't we? Thinking of 
the listeners who have to put up with our to- our tones and thinking that they might not be able to hear us so well if we were in echoey surroundings. So this is very much for you, everybody who's listening to this right now. Yeah, um, <laughs> we do consider your ears when we record these sorts of things. Uh, but the reason we have been so busy, we've been doing a lot of stuff over the last few days. On Monday, we recorded our very first Women on the Ball podcast. That was with Kate Riley James and three of Everton's Derby heroes from the game on Sunday, including Lucy Gray and the captain and goal scorer. You can hear a little bit of that show at the start of part two. And myself and Dave have also been speaking to former Everton players. Uh, we spoke to Marcus Bent, obviously, who was fantastic for the Toffees in that 4 5 season where the lads finished fourth. And we also spoke to Brendan Galloway as well, who is now at Luton, who had a very interesting short time in the Everton first team as well. Um, so we will play you a segment of both of those interviews in the f- final part of the show, they'll be. Um, but obviously, we're going to hear from, from the girls later, Dave, in regards to their performance. Um, but on Sunday... An Everton team went to Anfield and won a football match, which has not happened for a long, long time. Um, the game was was an interesting one. You know, we, when we spoke to the girls, they, they said themselves they didn't think they played particularly well. But um, just uh, you know, you got the sense of speaking to them about the, the magnitude of the occasion and how much they, they all enjoyed it. Yeah, it, and it was great to get that insight. I, I um, recommend anybody listen to the podcast because or watch the video on on our new YouTube channel as well because I think what we can get from these interviews what we suppose that we don't have the access to do i don't think anybody has to ha- the access to do um with the the men's side of things at the moment is the real sort of personality and the stories behind this so you'll find out what they got up to the night before um sort of the feelings the nerves that footballers go through before playing at a game and i, I was actually whilst um kate was doing the interview and we were filming it um i actually started thinking a number of things about how if this is the natural feeling amongst footballers forget a minute the maybe the disparities in the women's game to the men's and the the, the differences there that the obvious ones that there are um actual feelings as a human being i don't think change too much so you, you'll hear some real genuine insight into how that big game mentality um it can be quite challenging for for certain players to overcome uh, on the eve of a big game and it got me thinking to well how much must our lads feel when they go to Anfield when they haven't won for 20 years with that burden on the shoulders um, must be really difficult at times so I sort of found myself having a new appreciation just on a humanistic level really with that sort of thing but um, it's it's just a it's just half an hour of fun as well it's it's brilliant here and these girls, the sort of trials and tribulations they've gone through to get to a professional level at such a big football club like ours and also how excited they are and how excited we are about the future they should have, um, both as professionals but also at the football club because they're fourth, up to fourth in the FAWSL. They play Manchester City in a cup game on Thursday and they're by no means going to be overawed by that, having done what they've just done at Anfield. Um, so it's a really exciting time for women's football right now. We're fully behind it and uh, yeah, I really hope everybody can endorse it as much as we're going to be doing with our monthly show with the uh, women on the ball and... Um, it's a really exciting time for it and anybody who was fortunate enough to make it to Anfield to watch the game I'm pretty sure they'll agree it was quite an inspirational day yeah and I think as well you know that they set themselves the performance they put in at Anfield on Sunday wasn't necessarily their their best one of the season but I think what what was has been striking was speaking to you know I spoke to Lucy Graham and, and Danielle Turner in the, in the build-up to the game obviously we spoke to um, Simone McGill and, and Miva uh, Klamer on, on Monday as well with Kate and you know it, it 
often when you get footballers and you, you get them talking about this sort of thing, it's they will all come out with the buzzwords about how it's you know a close knit team and you know everybody's together. But I think for for them, and you think about the situation that they were in last year when you know obviously it didn't go well for Andy Spence in the end, and you know he ended up losing his job. The team were were losing games almost every single week. I think it's testament to the work done by by Willie Kirk. It's testament to the work done by some of the senior players there. And also people like Lucy Graham, who came into the football club in the summer and has been given the armband straight away and has clearly had a, had a massive impact. And you could see in the performance at Anfield how they had, they had to dig in and, you know, didn't necessarily play the best football, but, but managed to get through the game. Like you said, they're up to fourth now. And you could see from the interactions we've had with them, albeit briefly, you know, last week, earlier this week, that they are a tight-knit group. And, and I think when you look at where they've come from as a group and a football team, it's massive testament to the, the the new leadership. I think that's that's come in there. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with the attitudes. The the they were all on show from all, all three of the girls actually when they're talking about the performance. When I think it would have been very easy to milk it, and you'll find out why that's an important <laughs> word in that podcast as well. Um, when it came to winning such a prestigious game, such a historic game at Anfield, um, I felt that it would have been easy to sit there and sort of take the acclaim, be able to say how how good they did how, how great they feel about it but the fact that they were so self-critical and analytical of their own performances shows the levels at which they've come to aspire to under Willie Kirk now we've had Jamie Spence on the on the program a few times he's a he's a really good coach and a really good person to have in the women's game he's he's, he's a really good manager too what went wrong last season was I don't think we're quite privy to all the information there but to see that transformation have them fourth in the table as it stands winning games Playing with confidence, you've seen. I think the um, FA, I think the women's team's Twitter account have, have put out a, a short number of clips showing how robust the defence was, yeah. and everybody's throwing themselves at the ball. Exactly what we want to see replicated on December the fourth, isn't it? And and I think that we'll have to be doing that sort of thing. Really, some sort of kamikaze defender might be the order of the day for for the men's team when we go there. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it's the Liverpool having to try and do that, but. Um, you know, we know how this story goes, don't we? I don't want to preempt any doom so early. We're a couple of weeks away from that game yet, but um, yeah, Willie Kirk. I mean, it's a testament of what he's done since he come in. You've spoken to him, Matt, as well. He, he seems to be a real sort of, in terms of his style, is it's a basic one that he goes back to the traditions of of decent football, um, playing homage to all of those sort of conventions that perhaps get lost in the modern game when people talk so. I think um, in in the mind you tie of tactics and things like that, he seems to be somebody who gets the basics done right and then works. He puts foundations in place and then works on the on the the girls' game and things like that. And it, it's paying dividends, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think when we spoke to him on the show last week, the thing that struck me the most about him is the his, the belief he had in that team. You know, it, it was obvious just by listening to the words he said and the the, the conviction he had in them that he really believed that those players were going to go to Anfield and, and, and win at the weekend and you know for such a young side to have that that sort of belief in them to for them to act on that and deliver in such a big occasion I think is like you said it's testament to the great work being done but yeah like we said if you want to hear a little bit more on the, on those players um, and their Anfield heroics do head over to our YouTube channel if you watch us over there if you want to just listen as normal on the audio that'll be out as well and uh, um, we're going to talk about a few different things on the show today and um, just just very quickly Dave before we um, start talking about the, the current team and and what happened what happens against Norris potentially on Saturday um 
you've watched the, the Howard's Way film uh, last last week. Um, obviously, on this very show last week, we had Les Roberts, who was very privileged to be able to go and speak to, to Peter Reid and, and Derek Mountfield and, and Rob Sloan, the director. Um, and as you know, everyone who listens knows you're, you're an emotional guy. Um, but even for you on Twitter last week, um, you said you watched this film with, with tears in your eyes. Um, what was it in particular about it that, that resonated with you? There's a couple of things really, Matt. I think, firstly, it's an immensely well put together production, um, and that sort of the line of work that I've been in for well the majority of my professional career, to see how well that's done, um, is it's fascinating. It's emotional in equal measure, and uh, you have to say to Rob and the team that put it together, um, David Vahili, who plays a big part in it as a consultant on it, and both as a, a star of the actual film is just immaculate and it's dare I say it's something I was a bit jealous of to be honest with you I sat there thinking I'd love to have been part of that and <laughs> the sort of the finer details I'm like oh I might have done that bit a little bit differently but it was flawless you know it'd just be sort of your own preferences over anything else really it was just absolutely stunning to watch it's beautifully filmed when you get to the part where uh, Peter Reed, Andy Gray, Pat Van Den Howe and Sharpie are walking around the edge of Goodison it's just like wow this is this is ever utopia this this is everything you want it to be um the, the only tinge of sadness i think many people would say this watching it is the fact that it is from so long ago it was prime everton it was when we were kings of, of england and britain whatever and should have been kings of europe there's a real interesting end to the film which which discusses and handles that uh, the fallout from the Heisel disaster and, and things like that and um gets the players views on it in particular which is really, it's nice to see that side of it because I think you see a lot of conjecture from fans about that and, and how they feel about it. Obviously, there's a lot of anger and there's much more at the time. There's a lot of social injustice at the time in Liverpool as well. That's that's brilliantly covered too. It's just an all-round amazing experience to watch this. I actually found myself 10 minutes in thinking, do you know what, I wish I'd gone to see this at the pictures yeah. um, because it feels like it needs to be watched like sort of a cinematic experience. Um, but also the, the emotions come to you when you hear Peter Reid in particular, who I think, you know, every, you, you listen to 10 seconds of him talking about anything and you're like, that's that's a quote I can take and, and sort of, it, it can influence my life, what he's just said there, whether it's political yeah. ones, which you know he's involved in these days, to um, everything about the football club, the culture, things like that. Peter Reid epitomises Everton from the 1980s. And to see those personalities from Southall who we know is, is very different to everybody else. Um, Sharpie talking about Andy Gray when they're discussing the cup final against Watford. Basically, Everton's redemptive story, the, the infamous games against Stoke and Oxford, um, which got us on that brilliant run, which culminated in our greatest periods of success. The, the Kendall part of it, I suppose, is, is more towards the end of the film. You, you hear the players' stories more than, than Howard's um, during the film. And then the end of it is just, uh, if you don't cry, I don't think you're human <laughs> towards the end of it. And uh, just a wonderfully put together piece. And then, and then the other side, that again, just referring back to professional capacity, sort of having spoken to a lot of these players and, and being fortunate enough to work with them, you sort of take for granted the relationship you build with them. Um, yeah. So, for instance, Sharpie, I worked with every week on the Legends on Radio City and on, on Saint and Snods and when we did commentary and various things. Got to know him as a friend. And I'd take not not take for granted is the wrong term, but I'd sort of 
be quite passive in the end about his achievements as a player, which I kick myself for. Mm. Um, and I often rib him, texting him. Like, <laughs> even like that 84 goal, just a bit of an anecdote, really. I remember texting him when it was the anniversary of that um, a couple of years ago, and I texted him saying, ah, oh, that, that shot was appalling. Shouldn't have been that close to the post when you finished that. <laughs> that That's our, our best post-world goal scorer there. Yeah. He's just scored a peach against uh, Wofford in a cup final. I joked him about that. And this gave me some real perspective of, Sharpie, the football player and legend. Normally, it's the other way round in yeah. in football, where you know you want a glimpse of the man, not what they've done on a football pitch. But having been fortunate enough to witness it the other way round, I was just awestruck by that, and it, it sort of gave me a new appreciation. Really, um, I, I should have really texted him and said, but I, 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 I never had that relationship with him where I could yeah. be honest. It was always just uh, taking the Mickey, really. But um, yeah, you have to watch it if you're never Tony. And and one thing I want to echo, Matt, just finally on that is a lot of people have said this is the type of thing they need to show to the players at the football club, and I completely agree. And I know I'm surprised it, that you'd say that because you know, I think in the past you would have been against, the, yeah, yeah. But I guess that type type of sentiment and that you know that type of idea. This 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 is and this is the 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 feelings that emanated from me from watching this match, and it, it completely took me aback because. We we've seen programs on Everton. You, you you said yourself we were driving up to yours yeah. before, and you were saying I, I'm not sure I can relate to that so much because I wasn't around in that period. This thing is a real. It encapsulates the history of the football club in a way we've not seen before, yeah. and I, I'm I'm very much in that camp. What you were saying, look, I can't relate to Andy Gray and, and Derek Manfield as footballers because I, I never knew them in that capacity, which is obviously a natural thing to feel. But when you watch this, and you see why. So many fans who were around in that generation are so perhaps a little bit bitter about how we are now and what we've done in our recent history mm. and about why we sort of fell off a cliff in that period. You can see why, because these guys are genuine Evertonians. It wasn't about, like, nowadays you'd interview, I don't know, Lukaku's prime example, I suppose. A bit of a mercenary. Never fully endeared himself to the fan base. Never fully said. But you, you can see. I think it gave me a bit of gratitude and... It allowed me a bit of perspective and awareness on why Evertonians feel the way they do um, and are sentimental about these things yeah. because you can't watch this and not feel sentimental after it. So yeah, I mean, it, it, if you asked me beforehand, I'd say why would why would you show it? It shouldn't matter. Everton's history shouldn't matter to these modern day players who don't care about it. But I think it'd do them a hell of a lot of good, particularly as we go on this big run of games in December where we haven't won at various grounds for X amount of years. <laughs> Seeing a group of guys do that properly through mainly hard work, cracking footballers, of course, but mainly hard work, attitude, and the right ethics. All the stuff that I'd normally criticise, yeah. by the way, as you, as you as you pointed out, then uh, I, I think it's something that needs to be seen by a lot of people at Goodison. There you go. Uh, must be a fantastic film if it's managed to convert Dave Darney <laughs> into being sentimental about football. Uh, that's the end of part one here on the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. After the break, we will hear a segment of our Women on the Ball show and we'll have a chat about Norwich and what's coming up for the Toffees this weekend. We are back on the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. You'll hear again from Dave Downey very shortly, but like I said before the break, now we are going to hear a segment of our Women on the Ball show Hosted by Kate Riley James, and this week she was joined by some of Everton's Anfield heroes from Saturday, Sunday rather, Lucy Graham, Miva Clarmeron, and Simone McGill. Here's what they had to say about that brilliant win for the Blues. Lucy, we'll come to you first. Not only captain, but also scoring the, the one and only goal, but a win is a win, right? 
Absolutely, I think in a derby or in, under any circumstances, a goal um, is obviously amazing. And yeah, just to get the three points for the team who I think um, deserved it at the end of the day. That you know mm. how hard we worked, so yeah, just really tough for everybody yeah. involved. So from all three of you, then a derby in Merseyside, as you know, whether you whether you play footy or not, really, a derby in Merseyside is a massive, massive deal. Mm. Uh, obviously, this was historic, first one at Anfield as well. From all three of you. How did you feel the night before going into the game? Maybe we'll come to you first. The night before? Yeah. Uh, me, I was just chilling at home and watching uh, architecture uh, videos and yeah. magazine. Yeah, just, just trying to take your mind off it. Yeah, <laughs> and sleep early and yeah, to be to be ready for the for the game. Already. Did yeah. you manage to go to sleep at normal time? It wasn't like that Christmas Eve thing where you're like kind of pumped. Did you manage to switch off? Uh, no, I was just... Yeah, it was just you were chilling good? and it was good. Lucy, you had yeah, a disconfidence with the, the thing, right? Yeah, uh, I ended up going to the cinema <laughs> to watch The Joker. Um, and I've done that. <laughs> Both of you. Um, I've done that kind of day just to take my mind off um, and try and focus on something a little bit different. Um, and kind of halfway through the film, I was thinking, well, I'm definitely not sleeping tonight because one, I'm going to be having nightmares about the Joker, and two, because I'm so excited. But um, actually, I had a really good night's sleep, and I was good. feeling ready for the next day. So, Amazing. yeah. What about you, Yeah, no, I was really excited. You know, it kind of had a little bit of that Christmas Eve feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I obviously didn't expect the crowd to be probably as as full as it was. Um, but no, I was just really excited. And then obviously when I woke up the next morning, I knew that kickoff wasn't until three. I kind of just wanted the game yeah, to start. Yeah, you know, okay. really yeah. yeah, it was a really exciting feeling. Um, so, yeah. Well, 23,500 23, like in that, terms yeah. of, uh, of ticket sales and stuff. Um, when we say a derby being like a, a massive deal in the city and that it, it sweeps the city, the pubs are always chocker, you know, like the roads are always really busy as well, trying to get up to the ground and stuff. What did you have any expectations ahead of the game as to whether you, you would have, you know, that, that kind of that crowd feeling, so that kind of atmosphere within the ground? Did you have any expectation before the game? Um, I think it hit me um, when we were driving to the stadium, yeah. we were driving down a, like literally the road to turn in, and I just seen all these people. And there was people like taking photographs of the bus, and I think that's when I knew I think we're going to get a good crowd here yeah. today. Like, I think, yeah, I think, but well, we sit at the same table on yeah. the bus, so. Mm -hmm. I was kind of just looking out the window and there's like little girls with their families and stuff like waving like recklessly at the bus and just being like, oh my God, like they're actually here to come and see us. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of when the penny dropped, like, oh my God, we have the opportunity here to make so many people happy mm. um, for the first time in such a long time for Evertonian <laughs> fans. Like, it's been a while. Uh, it has been. Well, <laughs> I just thought like in my head, I was like, this is one of the opportunities that we can actually do something. Mm. Um, quite a wee bit special. So, yeah. Yeah. When you've when you played at international level as well, and known what you know those bigger crowds, or even when you've been to internationals yourself, you know you've been, when you've been to the footy, how important is that? Is that raw? How important is is the crowd? Uh, what 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 difference does it make? Um, start to yeah. Yeah, I think especially when we were walking out. Um, just the, the kind of roar of the crowd, you know, it made my kind of hair stand up on end. And um, yeah, I think you don't really know what to expect until you're actually in that situation. Mm. And I think it's really important to kind of allow yourself that out of body experience and try and take it all in. Um, but yeah, I think people react to it differently. Mm. Um, but to be honest, it just made me focus even more on just thinking like, now we need to try and get a performance in here to, mm. to kind of. Yeah, it's an amazing experience, you know, and especially like our fans as well. Mm. They were so loud throughout the whole game. And, you know, it, it kind of just like 
you know, they're our twelfth man, you know, yeah, carrying yeah. us through and you know, and we had to hold we obviously scored the goal in um just before half time. Yeah. Um, and just to have the Everton fans, you know, kind of carrying us through that second half, you know, it was vital. Amazing. Um, Really interesting stuff there from Kate and the girls. Final reminder on that, it is over on our YouTube channel. It's the Blue Room EFC on YouTube and all the usual audio feeds as well. Um, let's have a chat about the team going ahead to Saturday's game then, Dave, against Norwich. It feels like ages since they last played, doesn't it? Now, <laughs> just bizarre. It does. It, feel, it feels like a lot's happened in between that. Um, obviously, the, well, not the, much has really happened at all. At all, <laughs> not in regards to, to the men's side. Uh, Obviously, international break was pretty quiet too. Um, regardless from getting some action against yeah. uh, Argentina, they lost, didn't he? A woeful penalty from Gabriel Jesus. Don't know if you've seen that. Um, and one from Messi as well, but he stuck the rebound away. Yeah, so. yeah. So uh, redemption from him almost immediately there. Um, so some interesting stuff. Just just to go off on a bit of a tangent, Matt. Uh, regard Mason Holgate. Um, some really interesting quotes in an interview they've done, uh, the long read, I think it's called on the official Everton website um, which going back to my old cynical self don't normally subscribe to uh, that sort of propaganda in inverted commas um, don't know one from the club's listening to that by the way um, and I felt it was, it was really uh, candid and honest from Mason, he was talking about how he basically battered down the door to Marco Silver and said look why aren't I getting an opportunity here um, when, when did he did he make it clear when he went and had that conversation with them all uh, yeah I think it was early on before he played a couple of games didn't he before he went to West Brom on loan and and I think it was around that time and he was saying well, look I'm, I'm basically not doing as bad as anybody else here why aren't I getting a chance in the first team ranks and he went to West Brom played at right back and whilst he was getting game time I don't think it was in a position that was ever going to help us because I don't feel as if he'd ever go in at right back, particularly had we we got Sadibi on loan for this season, um, and and Seamus obviously is there as the club captain as well. You probably find yourself third in in third cab on the rank there, and um, I, I think it, it would it would not have surprised me. He doesn't say it in the piece, obviously, but he must have had feelings that his future was elsewhere uh, in terms of his, his playing career, and he had that spell at West Brom. Didn't play at centre half. I think what the attributes would have been for them would have been his pace, naturally, and it's his pace what's got him back in this side. Uh, he's still rough around the edges, don't get me wrong, but I think you've seen a maturity from him now. He says in the piece that the likes of him and Dominic Calvert-Lewin aren't young players anymore, and he's accepted that. Whereas I think a lot of people could use that as a little bit of a smokescreen. I think I think you do it, Matt, to be honest with you, with, with, <laughs> with, uh, with Calvert-Lewin. Because well, two years that Cavaliers twenty one still Holgate's yeah. twenty three so there is a bit of a difference there yeah but yeah and, and that's a fair point but I think in in regards to how we we look at um, the way the players now look at in terms of the game time they've had in these uh, these environments for the side um, I I think that Dominic Calvert Lewin belies a little bit his his experience with his age if you get what I mean that 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 age of twenty one he's played a hell of a lot of football for, he played over hundred games I think for us. Yeah. Um, and he is he is 21 uh, from a de- developmental process I completely agree there's, there's all sorts of things that can happen he can get a hell of a lot better and things like that but from I think Mason was talking about from a maturity point of view and he feels very much now that he's ready to take up the mantle of that he's been given the opportunity for, for a couple of reasons Michael Keane's form's gone off the edge of a cliff again um, which I'm not as concerned about as I, I previously was because we've seen how he can come back from worse um, because you know if you'd have said to us before Marco Silva took the job one of the first priorities I would have thought would have been getting Michael Keane off the wage bill. 
you look how far he's come since then, and and he's he was a standout performer last season alongside Zuma. But many people would associate those two. You'd never talk about one of them. Yeah. But you certainly wouldn't talk about Keane without referencing Zuma, and I think that's been his problem this year because him and Yerry Mina, whilst I think Mina's probably the better defender, they've got similar attributes in terms of when they're at their best. They're both great in the air. Um, I think Mina's much more comfortable on the ball, but both of them lack genuine pace. I don't think Mina's that slow, but he's not rapid. Holgate is quick, genuinely quick on the floor. And I think Marco Silva would would have seen that because he likes to play that high line. Yeah. Uh, Mason's got his chance. I think the the first thing that we've seen from him in terms of a, a genuine contribution was a beautiful through ball to Dominic yeah, Calvert-Lewin yeah, yeah. against Brighton, which obviously he's not in the team to do. But I think it highlights that he's comfortable being on the ball too, which is another a, a big shot in the arm for the team when it comes to the two centre-halves. So. Yeah, I know those things you know, aren't bread and butter for centre-backs, but I think... The, those they just give them your confidence as a footballer, don't yeah. you? I think when you, regardless of whether they're the things you're supposed to be doing on the pitch, it'd be like if say, you know, say if we brought Dominic Carvalho into the team and he hadn't scored for five ten games and he makes a goal line clearance, you're still feeling dead good about yourself walking off the pitch, aren't you? You know, Holgate in that game against Brighton, like I said, he sets the pass up, but the team still lose. Scores a goal against Watford uh, to, to get us ahead. Sets another one up for, for Tom Davies the weekend, and I think I think you're right in regards to his defensive play. There is still a lot to to do there but he will he will be feeling like he, he is contributing to, to to a team that's made some small step forwards mm. small some small steps forward and i think the, the point you make there about you know how you reference zuma and Keane, and you sort of never can mention michael Keane about referencing Kurt zuma in a positive yeah, way. yeah i think it's i think it's probably testament to yerry mina at this point that we're saying that he can you know he's, he's played He's come into the side. He's played every game apart from the Brighton one. I think I'm, I'm right in saying so far this season. And you look at him now, and he's, he's a regular fixture there. And I imagine if, if you're Mason Holgate, you're going into that side and thinking, I'm quite happy to be to be playing alongside Yerry Mina. He looks like he's a settled presence. He's a dominant presence. He's good on the ball. And all of a sudden, he's gone from being somebody who this is this is Mina. He's gone from, from somebody last season. He'd look at and go. Maybe got a bit of a mistake in him. Maybe got a bit of an injury in him to be. And do you know what? He's he's going to be absolutely fine here. And that just gives everybody, I think, a bit of a a sense of being calm. And it's probably helps Sadiq coming into the side, and it's probably helped Mason Holgate coming into the side. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, I think as well, there was often much said about the the language barrier with with the Eddie Mina. I think that's becoming less and less of an issue now. And I also think that with, with Mina and Keane, I don't think Mina could probably feel that he was the senior of the two. Even though he was in many people's eyes, he certainly was in my eyes. I still think, and and, and we've seen interviews with Keane where he said he harbours hopes of being an Everton captain one day. He sees himself as being maybe a, a natural leader. I have to say, I haven't seen too much of that um, in terms of him being particularly vocal on the pitch or looking like somebody like a Phil Jagielka maybe who leads by example. I don't think he, we've seen that from Michael Kim. He might well do it. Might be something that he develops um, to his game in the in the coming uh, months and years. With this partnership, though, it's without doubt that Mean is the senior of the two, and I think he finds that role comfortable. I think he plays it for Colombia as well. Um, he's a dominating presence anyway in in, in a physical perspective. So I, I think Mason finds it easy to get in that side, and he he knows what lane he's staying in yeah. in this team. And while still being allowed to express himself, because I think that's just a byproduct of Marco Silva's management, is that players can generally do a little bit more of what they want to do rather than 
let's say, for instance, plenty of talk about it, wasn't it? David Moyes potentially coming back to the club. I don't think he, Mason Hol, somebody like Mason Holgate, would have the license to be allowed to be that far up the pitch to no. play a through ball to Dominic Calvert Lewin. So, you know, you can criticise Marco Silva's management as I think many of us have done in recent months. But the one thing that you will see is a, is a freedom to express yourself from from all all corners of the field. So um, that's benefited them. So I'm 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 really hopeful and positive about a fruitful partnership between those two. Obviously, I wouldn't expect either to play every minute of every game to the end of the season. And Michael Keane will be needed. But it's nice to see, Matt, as well, a little bit of competition, despite the fact that we're, the defensive area is pretty sparse for cover, isn't it? So um, interesting to see what they do in January too, um, depending on what position we are in the league with this run we've got in December. Um, but it, it, it sort of reinvigorates it a little bit, knowing that we've got three centre-halves that are at least capable. Regardless of form, we know what they can do. That should be reassuring um, and I would suspect still we're going to look at investing in January. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be Kurt Zuma because he's basically now Chelsea's first choice because yeah. he's played well the last few weeks and really seems to be adapting to what Lampard's doing down there alongside Tamori, keeping Rudiger out the side. Yeah. He obviously had his injury issues and Christensen as well. No mean feat. So I don't think he'd be on the radar now. I think we'd be looking at a low move potentially. I, I mean, people will say and laugh this off, but I could definitely see us going in for the loan move for one of the United rejects Rocco. there. Rocco, Phil Jones. Phil Jones. I know Smalling's already gone, uh, and possibly Eric Bailly. Yeah, one of those four. Without yeah. a doubt, you will see a newspaper headline coming your way in the next few weeks saying Everton linked to one of these players and they're potentially going to come on loan. Um, but for now, if this is what we've got, I'm I'm, I'm positive about that. Even though, obviously, our start of the season. I don't know if you've seen the table over the uh, international break as well, Matt. Yeah. About they've ranked the starts of Premier League sides. Obviously, the easiest. The easiest. And, and we know that. I think many of us know that by a considerable stretch. Big question now is, can Marco Silva and the rest of these players replicate what happened towards the end of last season when I think... I'm right in saying that our last half dozen fixtures, certainly at Goodison, would have been first in terms of difficulty. Can he do that now when, with the backs up against the wall? <laughs> I, I joked this morning um, when I was on with Steve Hoggersall that Norwich is our last chance to get points in 2019. <laughs> Might be uber, uber pessimistic even for me, but um, it, it, regardless, it's a must-win game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think looking ahead to that, that game very quickly then, I think the, the one major question I think that's going to be asked going into these set of matches and potentially we could have an answer for by the end you know going into the January window is who is Everton's best option up front at the moment and obviously I think if you you could have put together a pecking order at the start of the campaign a lot of people would have put Moise Keane at the top Dominic Carvalho in second maybe Richarlison and Cenk Tosin obviously Richarlison is not ideal from from a centre forward position for a lot of people um but you could say, in some respects, that's almost been flipped on its head, and we're going into a a run of games now, where I I imagine it'll be it'll be chopped and changed. I imagine there'll be games where Richarlison's up front, where where Carvert Lewin's used up front, and then again you could say Cheng Tosin started a game which Everton won last time out as well. So I think that that's that's maybe the one area where you look at Dave, and you know you, you said about centre backs are quite sparse and they're almost picked itself. Midfield's a similar sort of position now with the injuries we've got in there as well. The one position where he's got options is at the top end of the pitch, and I have to say I've I've got no idea what would be going through Marco Silva's head currently in regards to who he thinks is best centre forward with this. Well, I mean, 
you can call them options or you can call them alternatives. And I would lean on the side of alternatives, given the fact that... I think, I, I think they've all done well recently, though, haven't they? I, I feel as if, though, that they've done well, but by mistake, and, I, and I've used this term quite a lot this season, he still seems to be somebody who's throwing stuff at a wall and hoping it sticks. And that's how it feels with this front line. Cheng Tosin was nowhere to be seen in the opening, what, nine, eight, nine games, maybe. Um, couldn't even get on the bench in a few of those. Similar to Tom Davis in midfield, and look how he's coming through now. All of a sudden, comes on against Spurs, a game that is ripe for him because he's a he's a scrapper. He likes to get involved in the penalty area. He likes to throw himself around. I think he's actually got a little bit more quality than that, but that is right up his street, and he will battle for you. Um, I'm I'm not a massive fan of the lads. I think I've said in the past. I'm, I'm not too sure if he's longed for Premier League football, but he's doing the job that we we needed him to do. Certainly in that Spurs game, I actually feel as if he, he's he's a perfect substitute. Um, because he, he's the type who will turn the tide a little bit when it comes to the last few throws of a, of a game. But when you look at his record when he started games, he's not necessarily that good. And I think he struggled to find himself getting into the game against Southampton. Moyes Keane uh, is starting to become a bit of an enigma. Um, I think that the situation with him now, his dad's come out with some really unhelpful comments. Uh, he... I mean, I've got to take my hat off to the lad at the age of 19, slapped him back down with authority and, and was basically saying, listen, stop getting involved in my business. I know I have to improve because he was late for another team meeting and things like that. Really good to see that. I want to see some of that on the pitch now. Um, and Calvert-Lewin, again, someone else will look at and I think, maybe is he better coming on as a sub than, than starting games? And I know you're a fan of him. I'd actually like to see... if it, I think Marco Silva in his heart of hearts, you said to him, do you wish you had two Richarlisons? You'd say absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that'd be the ideal, and I think that, that'll that always be a dilemma for him. When he's picking his side, if he's sitting there this week going over what's best side to beat Norwich, he'll be sitting there, and one of the things he'll come across is where am I playing Richarlison here? Because the area that I leave not playing Richarlison in will ultimately be yeah. adopted by a player who won't be as good as Richarlison. He's a talisman for us now, make no mistake about that. You, you look to somebody to get you the goal, it's him. He, he feels like he, he is a leader, by example, Richarlison, for what he does for the side, how much work rate he puts in. It's a lot in the press about his background recently and, and how that sort of instinctive uh, fight and, and all that sort of thing has come to the fore um, because of his, his upbringing and stuff. And obviously one of the most affluent of uh, environments that he was brought up in. I'd... I love him up front, I have to say. I do love him up front, providing you can get that support. And I think we saw that again in the West Ham game. Um, is That, that formation, that four-two-three-one that yeah. we've banged on about all season, works when it's played like that, when you've got mobile people in that three who can get up and support and, and get involved in terms of keeping the ball. That's why I think Alex Awobi becomes a really important player in that system. Well, he was great as the 10 that day, wasn't he? He was yeah. superb because th- there was a ball on to him inside from anyone who was on the wing and we don't necessarily, we definitely don't have that with Gilfie Sigurdsson who's, again, another one whose role feels a little bit up in the air right now at this football club. Um, so, yeah, I mean, okay, if I continue with what you said and saying that these are options, I couldn't, for one, put my finger on what he will go with against Norwich. I have a feeling he might stick with the side as best he can that beat Southampton, um, because you know there's no real need to change that. This should be a game of winning comfortably, by the way, um, and and Everton should be put under pressure from all the fan base because this is a game we should win. It's 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 still in the must-win category for me because if you do that, you go into that 
game against Leicester away on the 1st of December with a renewed confidence you've strung together back-to-back wins for the first time this season and in a, in a long while actually um, you know obviously with the break over yeah. the summer as well getting that feeling getting that habit will do the work you know work wonders for the players going into that really difficult spell and I feel as if we'd have some finally have some confidence behind us it's funny isn't it we, we normally beg for international breaks this one may have come at the wrong yeah. time so it'll be really interesting to see what he goes with against Norwich it's weird having that Norwich because obviously we've talked about this this spell of games for so long haven't we and how hard it's going to be it's it's weird having that that Norwich game just just there and then, and then, it, then it starts isn't it it's, like, it's, it's almost been like the forgotten match of our season in some respects well it has and, and that's why I jokingly said it's probably our last chance to get points yeah. in, in 2019 because if we don't go into these this this hellacious run with some momentum, with some form, with some points in the bag, things should get really, really difficult again. I, it feels as if it's a calm before the storm. This, and we just don't know which direction this storm's going to go in. It, it, you've got much more chance of it going in your favour if you're going into this this run on the back of two victories, six points, and a couple of decent fought out performances because that's what we'll have to do go to Leicester we're going to have to fight and we're not going to be involved in pretty games I don't think against these sides and that's why someone like a Tosin maybe is someone in your mind straight away who will give absolutely everything on the pitch you can never deny that with him Davis similarly no coincidence I think Matt where, while these injuries are taking hold that it's characters like that who are starting to express themselves and, and come into a side that looks a little bit bewildered at times um, you know, you, you're taking away the, the glitz and glam, if you like, of a Bernard who's injured. You're putting in a an Awobi, maybe a little bit more pragmatic. You're going with a, a striker who will scrap at every ball in the box. You know, your you defensive partnership, you've got Mina throwing his body on the line everywhere. It's almost become, dare to say it, dogs of war type <laughs> uh, of, of football that we're, we're churning out. Well, churning out's the wrong word, because we're not exactly churning, but that's how we're picking up points right now the Spurs game the Southampton game very much similar in terms of how we're getting points out of these games Norwich I'd like to see a bit more I think we'll be allowed to play a little bit more too um, nonetheless they're fighting for their lives now they haven't won in seven going into this going to be it might not be the most comfortable afternoons with Goodison but it's a game I'm fully confident that we'll win yeah, uh, same here. Um, after the break, we'll hear briefly from our interviews earlier this week with Brendan Galloway and Marcus Benter. Stick with us here on the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. This is the final part of the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. Now, as promised, myself and Dave went to speak to Marcus Bent and Brendan Galloway earlier this week. Uh, we have got the free version segments up on our usual audio feeds. The full versions of the interviews are over on Blue Room Extra. Here's a little bit of what each of them had to say to us. You've come to a football club just to revisit what you've said about coming and that really personal relationship with Martinez and yeah. making it feel like a very warm environment. Yeah. To, I think it's no secret about what Ronald Koeman is like in yeah. terms of being quite ruthless. Yeah. Complete opposite in yeah. regards to personal relationships yeah. with people. Did that feel like there was a shift in terms of particularly younger players at the football yeah. club? Did it feel as if that, okay, well, this, this is a guy who knows what he wants and yeah. I basically just need to do what I'm told type yeah, thing yeah, and yeah. it was like a head teacher type yeah, thing yeah yeah like um, uh, yeah he was in charge no one had anything else to say no one had anything to put what he says goes um, even I don't think that he had put very I don't think that he had relationships with many of the players you know some days you know he'd walk past him and you know just wouldn't even acknowledge you mm. um, 
which I think, yeah, um, you're the manager, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt to still be a good person. Doesn't take much, does it? No, it doesn't take much to say good morning, or if I hold the door for you, I thank you. As a person, it doesn't take much. Although I know that you're the big boss, um, and I think that as a youngster, it was probably at that stage it was probably then harder because when Martinez was there as well um, maybe on like the Thursday the 23s would go 11 v 11 against the first team and um, we'd be working on the shape for the game and they'd just be working on the opposition they'd be, the, they'd be shadowing the opposition so who were going to play <coughs> so we had you, you, had a, you had a chance to impress although it was only for half an hour you still had a chance to impress and um, even like Anzi would be like go in and smash them you know prove your worth you know that's who you want to be taken so go prove it and then when Kuman came there was none of that there was none of, none of that you couldn't you know he he wouldn't even watch he wouldn't even want to watch he wouldn't even want people to be watching training if you're not involved because he's doing tactics and if you're um like physios or whatever you can be watching training like when he's in tactics stuff like that so it's very it's very it was very different Mm. that that must have been really because I imagine you know when Roberto left and you know you guys would have all heard things and seen things in the press about who's coming in and I imagine as a defender you would have thought Marlon Koeman you know one of the most iconic defenders he's ever been scored European (laughs) Cup final winning goal you must have been rubbing your hands together I can't wait for this yeah definitely and I'd seen the pre and I'd seen what he had did with Southampton before. Um, I had a few friends at Southampton, which were also young at the time that I was playing with uh, at England 21s, and they were playing. So I thought, oh, maybe he is one to um, still give a chance to the youth. I know they will have a good style of play. And then I think that summer, so obviously Steve Walsh came in. Big investment at the time. Big, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think that. I don't know how many players we bought that season, but I think that that was very detrimental to the football club. Mm. We, you know, you buy and spending hundreds of millions. Mm. I don't know to stay the same. Mm. To stay the same. That's it, that, I think in a nutshell, you've just described all the yeah. famous fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's yeah. ever done that before. Four hundred million pounds. <laughs> 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 I think maybe on the way. And, and that, that's the sort of feeling we had in that season when we when we spoke about it. As fans, we were really optimistic. Cause yeah. You see a club all of a sudden get yeah. huge investments. Yeah. You've got a billionaire owner coming yeah. and you're thinking, wow, who are we going to buy next? Yeah, exactly. That's, any exactly. football fan yeah. actually feels that way. Yeah. But it become quite apparent quickly that it almost felt like somebody just won the lottery. And <laughs> what can I buy <laughs> what next? Can I buy? Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't yeah. really any structure to that. Nah. And I think no, Steve no, Walsh no. has come out in a recent interview, hasn't he, in the last couple of days, talking about how um, there were certain players who he, he thought he, the club should buy and he's basically passed the blame off to him. <laughs> it felt like a bit of a calamitous situation. Yeah. So here you've got like a manager in Ronald Koeman who's very standoffish, isolates himself as the big boss, like yeah. you said there, doesn't really talk to many people. Yeah. You've got a guy who's a director of football who's never been one before. He was a scout at Leicester, yeah. comes in, yeah. and he's all of a sudden given an open checkbook. Yeah. It felt like all of a sudden the, yeah. the tight-knit group that you were talking mm. about when he first came in, Felt like everything was a bit all over the place, and a lot yeah. of different factions in the yeah. club. Was it that like that in reality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pre- very much so. Um, it just went from a tight knit group 
you know, we had we had unbelievable characters the season before. You know, we had um, although he was still there, we had Jag Stonesy, Ozzy, we had people like Gaz Barry, James McCarthy as like core group, and then like even like obviously Seamus Coleman. And then next season we have Ronald Koeman. He buys ten players. Everyone's then dislodged. Different friendship groups. Um, you know, everyone's now just don't know their their place. Mm. Whereas before, you know, everyone knew this is the core. And then we had also youngsters to back that up. But then now you've all of a sudden got a squad of thirty first team players. How are you gonna How are you gonna manage that? So it sounds like what you're saying is when. Martinez leaves mm. there were still elements of what he did that were still really good yeah and that it perhaps didn't need the overhaul that everybody thought yeah, when, yeah. when he went Lokum no I don't think so I don't think so I, I think that the the main thing that they needed to do that everyone knows about was to oh no Rom didn't even leave that season but we probably needed another striker but the main thing also that that we've never done is replace Rom mm. all those goals that he scored for us so I think that the squad it didn't need a, a, a whole change. It didn't need it obviously needed a few changes. Kuma would have come in, wanted to bring his a few of his um the players that he likes, but it didn't need ten to thirteen signings. Mm. It didn't need um all the those players or the players from the season before, a lot of them to go out on loan. I think the bigger the squad, you know, it just brings you more problems. Because there was a lot of big players in there, so when they're not playing, it must be tough. Yeah, it is the Blue Room, and we are here with another exclusive interview. Myself and Dave Downey. Delighted to say, joined by Marcus Benz, former Everton striker. Marcus, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us. Don't be silly. It's always the big home in the Blues and family, and yeah, yeah, you guys coming all the way up from Liverpool. Um, it makes me humble. They're my family. Um, people say to me, "Who do I support?" As a kid, I supported like Arsenal, Barcelona, Real Madrid. And once I played for the Blues and then that family circle of people. And more so, I was thinking last night when I was sleeping and I just said to you, I didn't go out and play um, for the manager. And yes, I did go out and play for the team. But more so, I went out and played for the fans. I love the fans. The fans are brilliant. And that's not me trying to suck up to anyone I promise you that I promise you that you've got no reason to have no reason to at all not being back since and um, it, it, sometimes it, it's frustrating um, but um, the blues are my family and every time I send a text and I think when you've sent me messages I always put a blue heart on it Yeah. that's because I love the blues so whether you take that or not, I don't know, but that, that, that's how I feel yeah. about the Blues. I love the Blues. There was, there was a video of yourself doing the rounds quite recently on social media. I don't yep. know if you saw it. and It got a lot of traction on our feed and okay. a lot of Everton's feed where you talk about the club and it seems like yep. you, you're quite emotional talking about them. Yep. Um, what is it, you know, you played for a lot of teams in your career. Mm-hmm. What was it about Everton that, that stood out in particular for you? You, well, said, you said the fans there. Was it was it anything in particular? Was it the behind the scenes, the people at the training ground, or was it just the, the whole feeling of the football club as a whole? Before I get to that, I was brought up in West London, Shepherd's Bush. Um, played for Brentford, started off there. I was raw. Um, you know, I had to be schooled and, and taught the right way and, and mature. I was a young kid. I made my debut at 15, 16, I think yeah. it was. 
And then under the 21s came, Crystal Palace came, and then I took a dive. But um, as I got maturer and maturer, um, I moved on and, and played some good football. I've always had belief in myself, not a chip on my shoulder, but um, a confidence about myself. I'm not going to go through the whole the whole kind of transition, but I'm called the traveller, as I said. But I, I went to Leicester and I scored the winner against Leicester. Sorry, against Everton. Uh, end of the season. That's when Moisey bought me. So that's when Wayne was going to Man United. I then came in, all pressure on my shoulders. It was daunting, scary, but I took it like I, I, I'm not scared. I'm not scared of that stuff. It, it's about being a footballer, being you know consistent. The first day I came in, McFadden come and um, shook my hand. We had a little bit of um, a roll in against Leicester. Then Wayne was on the roof with his metatarsal, shouting at players. How Wayne is? We call him Dog. <laughs> and then I, I met Dunk. Um, and Dunk was quite standoffish um, but then once I got into the club and people respected me and they saw my hard work they saw how much I um, wanted to be at the club I got a love for it yeah. um, <laughs> I didn't start the first game against Arsenal we lost, we lost big time um, which was scary but then I started the next game they all installed in me a family bond, a family Everton bond, uh, and I couldn't let it go. So after that, we literally um, would socialise with each other, with our families, girlfriends, kids. And then once I got that, I just became a fan. So every time I see the Blues, every time I, I think about the Blues, and every time I played for the Blues, it was always for the fans. Hence why. I always talk about the blues emotionally. Yeah. I've never been back. I've never been back. I've never played. I've never played against them at at, uh, at Everton. Um, wish I had, but um, yeah, it's my club. It's my home, and it's my family. Fantastic from the lads there. Like I said, just to remind you, if you want to hear those interviews in full, it's Patreon.com/slash. Blue Room Extra. Thanks very much to Dave for joining me earlier as well. That's been your weekly show here on Radio City Talk. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.